Hello and welcome to another College of Optometrists podcast. This time we bring you Webinar Extra, an opportunity to catch up in a bit more detail with the Myopia Management online session led by Dr. Nicola Logan of Aston University. Dr. Logan explored the current evidence for myopia management treatments, discussing orthokeratology, soft CE marked myopia control contact lenses and atropine eye drops. There wasn't quite time to get through all the questions asked in that session, so clinical advisor at the college, Daniel Hardiman-McCartney, caught up with Nicola again to run through a few more of your queries and curiosities. To watch the webinar, which, let's be honest, might be handy if you haven't already, head to the college's online learning page and check it out. Or just dive straight in here, like I did when I watched the second series of the excellent Sarah Lancashire-driven BBC cop drama show Happy Valley and then went back and watched the first series. I mean, I got by but I wouldn't recommend it. Over to Danny. Hello, Nicola. It's Daniel at College. So um, as we said on the evening, we had a lot of questions come in and we're unable to answer all of them. What we have here is 30 further questions that were unanswered and it's going to be a little bit rapid fire. We're going to work through them and answer as many as we can. So let's get started straight away. So Nicola, uh, the, the first question that we didn't answer that came through was, do you have a protocol in place as to when we should stop myopia control? Sort of at what age should practitioners be thinking about taking people out of a, a soft contact lens myopia control option? That's a good question. Um, we currently can't predict for an individual child when their myopia might stop progressing. What we tend to do is, however, is monitor each child. And if we see over a period of time that they're not progressing with a myopia or any change in their axial length, um, we might also note that the child may have stopped growing in height, um, for example, too. Then we could also, at that time point, consider transferring them to a single vision contact lens or single vision spectacles. However, I would be caution really to monitor that child and if the myopia starts progressing again, then you could restart them in a myopia management um, strategy, for example. That, that's really useful. And another member asked, how would, how would you go about fitting myopia control? How can um, practitioners out there improve their confidence? Just generally, I guess, fitting contact lenses with children. What would be your advice? So in terms of um, fitting lenses for myopia control, they're no different than fitting um, single vision contact lenses. And if you want to improve your confidence of contact lens fitting in children, well, that's a whole new topic in its own right. And um, Dr. Susie Jones, who's an optometrist and a member of my research team here at Aston University, has written a recent article that's been published in the recent um, edition of Optometry in Practice. And that addresses that issue, and it's a great starting um, resource for anyone wanting more information in, on this topic. Any top tips or recommendations about how you would introduce um, myopia and my myopia management to parents in practice? Um, I think it's important to start that conversation early. So I tend to introduce it at their first eye examination, especially if the parents are myopic. The child may not even be myopic yet, but it naturally comes up. The parents ask, you know, is my child likely to become myopic? And if so, what can we do about it? So it's a, an easy um, introduction into it. If the child's already um, plano at eight, nine years of age, then there's a really high likelihood they will become myopic. So again, that's a time point to introduce that conversation. And I tend to state that it can be corrected with spectacles so they can see clearly in the distance. Um, but there are also now options to try and slow down the progression of myopia. I don't tend to go in heavy-handed with all the ocular risk complications that may happen in the future, 
I allude a little bit to them as one consequence. What the parents are often more concerned about is the increase in prescription over time. And that's what we tend to talk about in terms of how we might intervene to try and slow down that change in myopia progression. So that's really useful. We sometimes forget about that as clinicians, but the advantages of just being, you know, one or two doctors less myopic in terms of thinner lenses, you know, less reliant on the correction later on in life, really valuable things that shouldn't be overlooked. Um, another member here. Um, is there? D- do you know if there's a planned update to the Cochrane Review relating to um, myopia management? Yes. Yeah, so the last Cochrane Review for myopia management was published in 2011, and I understand that's currently being updated, and it should be published um, quite soon. Quite a broad public health question here. Um, is there lifestyle advice that we could be giving to governments and schools to help reduce myopia? Certainly, that's something that we could advocate, and we certainly see it implemented in places like Singapore, where they have that slogan, keep myopia at bay, go outdoors and play. And it'd certainly be an easy way to integrate it into an initiative like the the Daily Mile Challenge that many primary schools have adopted. Um, But we're still building up our portfolio of myopia development, progression and management in um, UK um, children, so I guess we may not be quite at that stage of going to government but certainly I think we should be in at schools not just advocating our examinations for children but some of the the benefits and things they can do to reduce their likelihood of becoming short-sighted as they get older. So worth a conversation with patients who are teachers or who perhaps work in the education sector just for general information? I think it's a general awareness certainly needs to be um, brought to the fore and whatever way you can do that whether it's discussion with um, parents um, patients of yours who are um, teachers, for example, or if you're going into schools to, to do talk, just bringing that element into it as well. Okay, a bit of a technical question now. Why does undercorrection make myopia progress faster? So if we think of undercorrection, then the, the research came about really based on the animal models of research. And the animal models suggest that if we did undercorrect, we might slow down um, progression of myopia. What was found in children was the, the opposite, that the progression of myopia seemed to accelerate. And we're not really entirely sure why it differs from what we see in the animal models. It may be due to the the eye being blurred at, at distance vision or, or not receiving a, a clear image at any um, type of distance um, that's the contributing factor. But we certainly would advocate, based on the current evidence to date, that we should be fully correcting our myopic children and not undercorrecting them. So, so another quite technical question um, relating to time outside and, and vitamin D. Are there any studies that um, advise using vitamin D um, to, to, to help children and whether that has an effect on the dopamine pathway? So there's been a number of studies that have looked at the role of vitamin D with myopia development and progression. And researchers think that it may be differences in the circulating blood levels of vitamin D um, and lower concentrations of that kind of circulating level of vitamin D has been associated with an increased risk of myopia. However, the, the lack of a, a genetic a, association with people who do have a, a lower concentration of the circulating vitamin D um, suggests that that lower level of blood vitamin D might be acting more as a proxy for time outdoors. And so one option you would think would be if you were supplementing children um, with, with vitamin D, would that potentially you know stop them developing myopia or slow down the risk 
and the evidence isn't really pointing towards that at all at the moment. So, so early days with that. What, what's your general advice related to um, verifocals and progressive edition lenses with spectacles? Are they a useful option um, for children who can't wear contact lenses? There have been um, a number of research studies that have used um, different types of progressive edition lenses um, for slowing myopia progression in children. And the original study was the Comet study based in the US. And they only found uh, a difference in terms of slowing myopia progression between children wearing progressive vision lenses and children in a single vision spectacle lens of only 0.2 diopters. Um, and that effect was really only found in the first year of the three-year study. And given that this small effect really is within our kind of measurement error for assessing refraction in clinical practice, I think it's really difficult to advocate the use of them. And also, other studies have looked at how children use progressive edition lenses. Many of them use them quite differently than a presbyopia would. They still kind of tuck their head, tuck their chin down, and use the central part of the lens um, for near work. So use them in a, a different way. So I think, you know, looking at the, the cost of them, looking at um, the effectiveness of them, I don't advocate them um, for myopia management at, at present. Really useful advice. Okay, Nicola, I have another question now. Um, will myopia management affect stigmatism? What's the role there? So studies looking at myopia management um, compared to a control group really limit um, inclusion to any clinical study um, for children with around 0.75 doctors of astigmatism or less. Um, and I guess astigmatism could be a confining factor. We don't know the exact role of astigmatism in terms of myopia development and progression at present. Um, so potentially it could affect development and I think more research really needs to be done in this space. Quite a straightforward one here. At what age would you start offering myopia management? So if we think, first of all, um, of the children who might benefit from any form of myopia management, and we're looking at children with axial myopia, so their, their myopia is due to their eye being longer rather than a, a refractive myope. And typically in the UK, we know that myopia develops in children somewhere around between 7 and 11 years of age. And also in the UK at the moment, our options um, for any myopia management modalities are essentially um, contact lenses at present. So we're then thinking about the ability to handle and manage those contact lenses appropriately as required. So we typically um, see children from about 7 years of age. If you have a child who's much younger than that, um, and especially if they've got kind of moderate to high levels of myopia, I think you really want to look and see if there's any other underlying cause related to that myopia, because it would be unusual to have a, a four-year-old with five doctors of myopia, for example, and I would want to check and see if there's anything else causing the myopia before just thinking about, I need to do something about managing it. So the age range I start at tends to be somebody who's comfortable, I'm confident that they can handle their contact lenses appropriately. So, so a few quite practical questions now. Which do you find gives the best corrective visual acuity, uh, a soft contact lens like my sight or, or an ortho-K style of correction? So both, those, so both an ortho-K or a, a soft um, contact lens for myopia management, both give really good um, distance um, visual acuities measured on high contrast. And they're pretty, pretty comparable um, against those two modalities. 
Um, I haven't compared the mitite head-to-head with Ortho-K, but they've both been compared um, to either uh, single-vision contact lenses or single-vision spectacle lenses, and both give very, very similar um, visual acuities um, to that. What is different, and you will see it with both these um, interventions, is that the children will notice some um, ghosting on some of the letters, but it's very faint, and I tend to point it out to the children so that they are aware of it, but they adapt to it really, really quickly. It's not like sitting at a presbyope with a, a multifocal lens, for example. Um, is myopia management available on the NHS at the moment? It's not currently available on the NHS, so it's um, a private um, cost. However, um, the children would get a, a GOS voucher, which potentially could be used towards contact lenses, but will obviously not cover the, the complete cost like any other um, contact lens course. Okay. So trying to scenario now, uh, a member was asking if they had a child who was aged nine and they're already minus six, is the intervention, is myopia management likely to be effective or is it a bit too late? So if you've got a nine-year-old child and they're myopic, the myopia is unlikely to have stopped progressing at age nine. So we know we've in that fast period of progression is kind of three, seven to 11, 12 years of age. So I would suggest that yes, intervention is still likely to be um, effective. If we look at an example um, from research, Pauline Cho's group who are based in Hong Kong have looked at high levels of myopia over six diopters and they partially corrected four diopters of the myopia with an ortho-K lens and then the residual level of myopia with spectacles. And they find they still got slowing of axial length in the partially corrected high myopia group compared to the control group. So this suggests that yes, uh, a higher level of myopia um, will, if a child has a higher level of myopia, they will still respond to any sort of myopia management intervention. Um, additionally, in the MySight study, at the end of the three-year randomized clinical trial, all children were then wearing the MySight contact lens for another, for three years subsequent to that. And the results coming out of that study suggest that myopia management intervention at both a higher level of myopia and at a slightly older age of the child does still have impact in terms of slowing both myopia progression and the rate of axial length growth. Another member asked, are there spectral lens um, products available on the market for myopia management at the moment? Well, three companies, Essilor, Zeiss and Hoya, all have different designs of spectacle lenses for myopia management. and They vary between those companies. Um, and they're available in different parts of the world at present, but not in the UK. And we're just watching this space to see if they do come to the UK market anytime soon. I'm hopeful okay. that something will do because some of them, especially the, the lens from Hoya, has shown really good promise in terms of slowing myopia progression. So, so very aptly at some point in 2020. Who knows? It would be, it would be good to see if they do. Okay. Now, w- what about the effect of... Um um, binocular vision on progression. Is there any kind of link there if someone's esophoric or, or is that a bit of a myth? We don't really know the effect of um, binocular vision on progression of myopia. I would certainly advocate if a child has BV problems, they should be addressed first and separately before any myopia management program is implemented. And I think all the research studies are, are ideally looking at children who have um, myopia that's progressing but have normal um, binocular vision. Some of the um, early work out of the COMET study suggested that children might respond better to myopia management um, if they had esophoria near or lag, a large lag of accommodation, but they weren't able to replicate some of those findings in their follow-up um, COMET2 study. 
So I think I would separate the issues of, of BV problems, deal with those first of all, and then if they have myopia alongside that, then deal with myopia progression. Subsequently. Great advice there, separating out the, the, the two problems. Another question now, how do you know if the treatment's working in practice? So if you fitted someone with myopia management and the myopia is still increasing, do you know whether the treatment's been successful? So I would expect some progression as the child is still growing and so is their eye. So a little bit of progression wouldn't be unusual to see even though you're doing a, a myopia management um, intervention. What we're really aiming for is less progression than if they continue with a single vision correction. So perhaps look at previous level of progression for that individual, see if it certainly slowed down significantly from what they were previously, and that would give you an indication as to whether it was successful. Um, and I think this expectation um, needs to be really discussed appropriately with the parent and child before you implement any myopia management strategy. All that needs to be discussed prior so you kind of set the scene as to what the expectations are from both your side and, and from the parents as well. So it's really providing them all the information they need as part of the consent process before embarking on the management programme. Absolutely. And kind of discuss, the, you know, the worst case scenario would be that progression continues um, at a similar rate as it would have been if they'd been wearing single vision um, spectacle lenses. But certainly at, at the moment, our, our strategies are contact lens based. So the child has the added benefit of being spectacle lens free. So you're, you know, fitting them both with a, a contact lens to give them the benefits that that brings compared to a spectacle lens. And additionally, you're also trying to slow down that um, myopia progression as well. So a bit of a philosophical question now. Um, members asked, um, is myopia being seen as more of a disease now than a refractive state? I guess we're a lot more of the consequences of having myopia. And we certainly know that um, all levels of myopia pose a, a greater risk for future um, ocular disease or pathology. Um, and so this has been a shift in how we think about myopia and define it. Um, the International Myopia Institute um, have published a, a series of white papers. And one of those papers is on how we define myopia. So it's certainly worth a read if you're interested in more and how you define and classify myopia. And these papers are all um, open access papers. They're published in the journal Investigative Ophthalmology and Vision Science. And they were published in, in February um, of this year. So anyone can have a look at it and read them all in detail. The other one's papers in that series that you might be interested in. There's one on um, interventions, so the range of interventions that are available um, around the world. And there's one on clinical guidelines that will give um, practitioners a really good basis to um, how to implement myopia management into your practice, what type of measurements um, you might want to take um, that might be a little bit different from what you normally take in clinical practice as well. So worth adding to everyone's reading lists. Certainly worth reading those papers, yeah. Yeah, okay. Well, uh, what about rebound? Um, we, 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 we know rebound's been a problem with um, atropine, or there's been some papers that suggested that. What about with soft contact lenses? Do we know if rebound okay. may be a problem? So I think, first of all, we need to really think about what we mean by rebound. And so that kind of definition of it really needs to be uh, addressed fully. Is it the fact that you've got like a, a, a sudden increase uh, in, in progression again, or is the rate of progression greater than what they were um, previously in the single vision. So there's some differences in how we in interpret what that means. But certainly we've, we've seen that kind of greater acceleration in myopia progression with um, the 1% um, atropine studies, for example. 
it hasn't been shown to date with um, soft contact lenses, um, but certainly with the, the MySight study, we are um, in year seven of that study, and that's what we're looking at um, at present as to what happens when the children are taken out of a, a MySight lens and put back into a single vision contact lens. So watch this space, uh, and that's likely to be published um, next year? Well, I, I'm not sure exact timeline for publishing, but it'll certainly be reported um, as soon as they have the full data set from that. Okay. Really practical question now. What about um, students when they start university? I, I think a lot of optometrists, anecdotally in practice, see this like pr like university-related increase in myopia, or when people are studying like for a PhD, their myopia seems to be a little bit worse. Would they benefit from myopia management? Um, certainly, we, we see in our university students here at Aspen as well myopia progression um, during the, the three years of the time here, and there's really um, well documented. Um, research evidence, there's been a lot of work done on law students where they have a, a greater um, progression of myopia during their time at, at law school. We don't know what really triggers the eye to grow um, longer um, in these cases at all, but certainly they could benefit because it, the change, again, with the myopia um, progression is due to an elongated eye. And so it's, we're thinking it's working in that same modality, so there's no reason why you couldn't implement a, a myopia management strategy for these um, older young adult um, population. And I think we've answered the next question as well there. So could myopia management work for, for new myopes who are in their late teenage years? Certainly it's the same. If it's axial in nature, then there's no reason to suggest why it wouldn't work um, for that population. Uh, and w when we say axial, I know you covered this in the, um, the, the webinar. Do you think practitioners need to be measuring axial length in practice or, or just using a, a proxy marker like their prescription? Um, I don't think that um, practitioners need to measure axial um, length at this time in practice. I think um, having that greater insight, being able to look at what the baseline axial length is and being able to see those changes over time gives you a lot more information about it. But we know there's a really good correlation between um, axial length and, and refractive error. So I think in clinical practice at this time, you can still practice myopia management without having access to an optical biometer. Um, as we learn more about it over time, if the cost of those biometers um, reduce, then they, that might be something to revisit at, at a later stage. So that's really reassuring for listeners, isn't it? it? It's not a barrier to practice if you if you can't do that in practice. You can still, yes, still offer this not. management. So, um, so I, I guess there's a really good question. So what about the materials of the soft contact lenses? For years, we've been moving people into silicon hydrogel lenses, but the, the soft contact lenses available at the moment are, are more of a traditional lens material. Is that a problem? W will they change to silicon hydrogel? I do don't think, think it's a, a problem. And the reason that there are hydrogel lens and not silicon hydrogel is that the development of these um, contact lenses for myopia management was prior to the advent of um, one-day silicon hydrogel. And so I think the companies want to have the advantage of a daily disposable contact lens um, for children, um, which we know outweighs um, in terms of safety profile, um, a, a replacement, a monthly replacement lens. I understand the manufacturers may look at this um, in the future, but I think because of how they're made and everything and different to the material, they need to go back and check that that wasn't also altering the kind of response that you might see with a, a myopia management um, contact lens. Within the, the MySight study, because we asked them to be one of the centers for that study, we've not um, to date had any problems with children wearing daily disposable hydrogel lenses. And these kids, remember, have been wearing these lenses for um, 10 hours a day, six days a week, over an hour, a, a six-year time period. 
and we're not seeing um, problems related to that at present. What about parenzepine? Is that still considered an option for myopia management or is there an, any un ongoing studies into that? So there was studies done several years ago now um, showing that parenzepine could also um, slow down um, myopia progression. And we know that atropine is a non-selective antimuscarinic, whereas parenzepine is an M1 um, selective. Um, but I haven't heard about that work progressing. I think there's some issues related to that. So I don't think that that is, is going any further in terms of an option for myopia management. Um, I, I think you've kind of touched on this already. How would you manage those parental expectations when embarking on myopia management? I think it's really that careful discussion at the outset, not over-promising what you can offer or, or do and being realistic about it, saying that, you know, the myopia may well progress. Um, I think it's making sure that the parents are aware that there's no guarantees in what you do. You can say, you know, the research shows this, but remember the research is, a, is on a group, a cohort of children. And for an individual child, we can't specifically state what is going to happen. And I think it's, you know, at the moment we're, we're offering options for contact lenses. So it's that kind of, you're discussing also the benefits of wearing contact lenses as a, a poster spectacles as well. So there's, there's two things, two aspects to, to discuss and looking at benefit, both being spectacle lens free and also the, the potential benefits for um, slowing myopia progression. So a member here has asked whether you have any top tips or advice on how to predict who would become a high myope, who we could you know, most effectively target who would benefit from the treatment. So we know um, age of onset is a major factor. So those children whose myopia onsets at a younger age um, are more likely to end up with higher levels of myopia. Um, look at the family history of it. Have a look at what the um, refractive error is for a young child. So if you're doing a cytopedic refraction, for example, and the child is less than not plus 0.75 doctors at eight, nine years of age, there's a really high risk of them becoming myopic by the time they get to teenage years. But certainly in terms of um, predicting level of myopia, it would be mainly based on the age of onset of the myopia. Okay. And, and if you had to take age of onset versus family history, which would you say is a stronger predictor? Do we know that? Ooh, that's different. I mean, family history also brings in um, genetic components. So we, uh, we know there's a genetic link with really high levels of myopia. For your, but for your normal type of um, progressive myopia, it's often age of onset. Okay. Give you the best prediction. So, so I think a final question now, and we, we uh, I hope listeners uh, have now had their question answered from the webinar but our final question um is it relates to how um how safe is it to fit young children with contact lenses and, and i know a lot of practitioners just contact lenses in general are very nervous about fitting fitting children do we know much about the safety profile i think i think we need to um, remember that young children wear contact lenses for a number of reasons not just for for myopia management we see young infants within a hospital eye system being fitted with uh, contact lenses as well so I think it's something to think about. It's a risk-benefit analysis based on each individual case that you see. Um, and just because of the, the age, um, you think about what your risk-benefits that you do for your um, young adults, your older people that you see in practice. It's a similar type of aspect for the children. And there's been research published really um, very recently um, on the safety of soft, daily disposable hydrogel um, contact lenses. And it's been um, work that's come from Zhu Cheng and her colleagues um, at Johnson Johnson. 
and it's just been published in the journal Acta Ophthalmologica. And they did a, a retrospective review of ocular adverse event data from six randomized controlled trials, and they were all sponsored by J&J. &J. So that was 581 children between the ages of 7 to 15 years at the baseline who all had myopia. And so because those studies ran over a number of years, they have data on essentially what they call patient years of contact lens wear. And for this cohort, it's 816 patient years of contact lens wear. And they found no significant or serious ocular adverse events reported over that timeline. They found 86 non-significant ocular adverse events in 53 of these children. Some of them were related to um, findings that were grade two or less and that required treatment, things like um, unspecified conjunctivitis or allergic conjunctivitis, and that total for um, 27 of the cases. They did not find any cases of microbial um, keratitis. But essentially, um, they give a, a crude incidence of 4.5 per 100 patient years for contact lens-related events, whereas compared to the incidence of ocular adverse events among spectral um, lens wears, that was 1.8 per 100 years. So the, the data from their work really suggests that daily disposable um, hydrogel soft contact lenses can safely be worn um, by children. Um, and, but those were ones taken within a, a research um, study. And I think over time, we will have more and more data that emanates out of clinical practice. So I think the onus is on, also on practitioners uh, to report um, any findings um, that they have with um, contact lens wear and children will build up a much, much better um, safety profile over time. But current evidence suggests that yes, it is safe to fit young children with contact lenses um, based on that they handle them appropriately, um, come back for their regular aftercare as well. So really useful advice. So maybe as optometrists, we need to rethink the way we perceive risk in children. And actually the evidence suggests that probably we're overstating it in our minds. and We need to just lose that barrier. Absolutely. There's a um, paper by Mark Bullimore as well um, to suggest that the children that kind of 8 to 12 year age range are perhaps less risky, um, have less adverse events than the kind of older teenagers, whereas most practitioners would be tempted to thinking, OK, you know, the older teenager might be you know, going to listen to me, might be more compliant, and it seems to be the other way around. And I think if you can embed good habits of hygiene, how to look after your eyes and, and contact lenses at a younger age, then those skills will be developed for life. Nicola, thank you very much for giving up your time to answer all of those questions. I have no doubt our members will have found that really useful and we'll let you get back to um, teaching and research. Thank you very much. Thank you, Daniel. Thank you.